0: I really think this is the number one issue uh, that we wrestle with in our faith. How do we know it is the will of God? Who should I marry? Uh, what city should I move to? Um, what job should I take? Um, what team should I root for this afternoon? Well, that's easy. The Lord would say the Raiders. Like, that's, that's a done deal. Um, but aside from that, we, we wrestle. We wonder. Um, as a pastor, this is by far the number one question that I hear. Pastor Dom, how do I know God's will for my life? And as followers of Jesus, uh, we wrestle with this for a number of reasons. We want our life to count. We want every moment to be in sync and harmony with with God's heart and and God's will for our life. But we also really, really want to make the right decisions. We want want to do things that are in tune with God's trajectory for us. We we struggle with decisions. There's a Columbia researcher. Her name is Sheena Iyengar. And a number of years ago, she did some research on this, and what she discovered is that the average person makes 70 decisions per day, which turns out to be 25,550 decisions per year, and then over the course of an average lifetime, 1.7 million Now that is a ton of decision making. And so in the midst of all these decisions as followers of Jesus, the question that always haunts us and lingers in the back of our mind is, okay, God, I want to make a life, uh, make a difference in my life. I, I want to do the right thing. I want to go in the right direction. And am I doing what you're calling me to do in the midst of these decisions? Am I making the right call Albert Camus um, the philosopher he said life is a sum of all your choices in the book of Psalms 90 verse 12 David he said Lord teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom it struck me a few days ago how David says teach us to number our days we often think in terms of years. I have five more years left, or 10, or 40 years, or 50 years to my life. And we just kind of have this assumption that these limitless days are ahead of us. But actually, in Scripture, it causes us to reorient our thinking when it comes to life. It says that instead, we're to focus on our day. That is, each moment is what matters. That this moment, as we're here together, is what matters. Because tomorrow, the next 10 years is not necessarily guaranteed us. And so that's why Scripture is always bringing us back into the present. Okay, make the kinds of decisions now that will set you on a trajectory for your future. Because, well, life is short. Um, This one author I was reading recently, he said, Life is so short, you can summarize it in four words. He says, When you're a kid, the word is spills. When you're a teenager, the word is thrills. Then when you become a, an adult, the word is bills. <laughs> and then when you're elderly, pills. He <laughs> said, so that's life. Go from spills to thrills to bills to pills. And that's it. You die. Um, I was on this website the other day, and it's called deathclock.com. Um, if you want to be really depressed, go to that website. Because basically, it tells you the day you're going to die. It, it asks you these questions, so your date of birth, whether or not you smoke, your BMI. It's, like, really personal. Um, and then, based on statistical analysis, it will calculate when you'll, the exact day you're going to die. So I entered all my information, and uh, it's, really, it's really morbid because a skull pops up. And on the skull, it tells you the day of your death, and then it shows you the seconds you have left counting backwards, So you're just watching your life evaporate. Turns out, I I typed in my information, I'm going to die December 25th, 2049, which is really discouraging. Christmas Day, of all things. Like, that's my day of death. I can see it now. I'm with my grandkids. My wife gives me a walker. I'm like so excited, and I choke on my orange juice and collapse, and the grandkids need counseling. Like, wow, life is short, right? Spills, bills, pills, and then we're dead, David says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can have a heart of wisdom. So, so that's what I want to unpack is, okay, how, how can we, in, in the midst of this life God's given us and in the reality that this life is so short, that it's brief, it's passing us, how can we live our life in the will of God? And I know that's your heart today because you would not be here um, seeking God, worshiping God in Scripture if There wasn't at least a part of you that's like, God, I want to do your will. So that brings us back to the question, how do we know God's will? How do we unfold this? How do we unpack this? And I think one of the best places to understand the will of God is here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles open, you can look down. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now notice, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. I would argue that of all the verses in scripture that talk about the will of God, this is probably the most important he says I beg you, I beseech you. It's a very strong word in Greek. Just think of a guy who's on his knees asking his girlfriend to marry him. It's that kind of heartfelt, intense, beseeching. He says I'm I'm begging you. I'm on my knees asking you give your body to God. Don't let the world press you into its image. Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. And then notice, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Now, this is huge. The word approve, for those of you who like to go deeper in these things, if you're like a Bible scholar nerd like me or something, and you just love to get beneath the text, you can write this down. Um, The word approve in Greek is dokimazo, and it means to discern or distinguish or to know. Let's put the pieces together. Paul says, begin with the inner life. That is, work on being the right person. Be surrendered to God as a living sacrifice. And what will follow as a result of that, if, that, if that's in place, you will be able to know, to approve, dokimazo, what is the will of God for you? So there's three thoughts I want to share with you before we go our way today. How do we know God's will. Number one, we need to cultivate godly character. (laughs) This is so huge. God's primary will for your life is not necessarily where do you go or the achievements that you earn or whether or not you get married or even who you get married to or what city you live in or what job you take. Now, those things are important. We'll talk about that. But his primary will for you What God is most concerned about, more than anything else, is that you become a person who is 110% abandoned to him. That you reflect his image and his beauty. That you become someone who has the heart and the character of Jesus. I often obsess over, what do I do? Where do I go? But what God is concerned about is, who are you becoming I don't know if any of you are parents this morning. uh, I have a 10 year old daughter. If you're a parent, you know that our goal as parents isn't to raise the kinds of kids that we have to micromanage their whole life. Like when they're younger, sure, that's fine. But who of us would want a 30 year old that we're having to tell, okay, wear these clothes? Go to that school, purchase this home, live in that city, marry this person. Now, some of you are thinking, that actually sounds wonderful. But for most of us, we're like, no, I don't want that kind of relationship with my kid when they're older. Our goal as parents is we're not trying to raise automatons. Uh, We're trying to raise people who have maturity and wisdom to make the right decision to to have discernment, and to exercise godly decision-making. And you realize more than anything else, God's heart for you is precisely that. In fact, this blew my mind recently. Did you know every time in the New Testament where you see the phrase will of God, you can just research it, the will of God, every single time it has to do with your character. It has to do with your inner life. It has to do with the kind of person that you 're becoming, and let me just give you a laundry list of some of these verses, so we have here uh, Romans twelve he says this is god 's will for you, so here it is that you offer your body to God your, your whole life, not just your Sunday morning but your Monday morning. what you do on a Friday night, the kind of relationships that, that you have, the words that come out of your mouth, the things that you do in private second peter three nine says god 's will is that you would repent and be saved so that 's pretty simple if you don 't know Jesus today. This is God's will for you, that you would give your life to him. 1 Thessalonians 5, this is the will of God. In everything, give thanks. 1 Peter 2, this is the will of God, that you would honor and love people. Ephesians 5, God's will. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. So, not the spirits of this world, but the Holy Spirit, right? That's that's God's will for you. Ephesians 6. God's will is that you would live missionally in your vocation. Colossians 4, that you would be mature. Hebrews 10, that you would persevere. 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your holiness. So, again, this is just a small sample of that phrase, the will of God. You can look it up. Every time you read that phrase, here's God's will, here's God's will, here's God's will, it is always, always about character, about your inner life. And what God's word seems to be saying is, if those things are in place, then God's will becomes self evident. So, so we start here, as David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a right spirit. We begin in that place of that posture of full surrender to God. If our heart is aligned with His, then, then His heart is beginning to speak into our life, into our heart. There's a great quote, um, I love it, by Kevin DeYoung. He's a theologian. He said, the decision to be in God's will is not the choice between Memphis or Fargo or engineering or art. It's the daily decision we face to seek God's kingdom or ours, to submit to his lordship or not, to live according to his rules or our own. Wow. We could put it this way. Your call will only take you as far as your character. And before we can pray, God, your kingdom come, we first have to pray, God, my kingdom go. <laughs> I, I need to get out of the way so that you can speak. So when we talk about God's will, we have we have to begin here. Cultivate the godly character. Work on the inner life. I wonder, could it be in some of our lives we've been so worried about all the details and panicking about the decision we could make and god is saying take a step back i'm more concerned about your heart right now i'm more concerned about you being the kind of man who loves me you being the kind of woman who pursues me that that's my will for you offer your bodies your whole life as a living sacrifice so we begin there number two though let's make it really practical i know some of us um you just love the nuts and bolts you love just give me some practical things this next point is really practical We discern the will of God as we listen. Listen to what? Well, we need to listen, first of all, to the voice of God. God is a God who speaks. How does he speak? Well, you know the verse in First Kings 19. Uh, there's a guy named Elijah. He's a prophet. He desperately needs to hear the will of God. He, he, he's discouraged. He goes up to a mountain. He finds a cave. He gets inside the cave. And he's like, God, just speak to me. Show me what your will is. And then it says there was an earthquake. But was God in the earthquake? No. And there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And there's a wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And then there was a still, small Voice and God spoke. It was a whisper. I think sometimes in our life, I'd say 99% of the time, the way that God speaks to you is not necessarily through the big dramatic ways, rolling black the clouds, thus saith the Lord. Now that can happen, but I'd say 99.9% of the time, it's going to be the still small voice. It's going to be the whisper. But in order to hear a whisper, you have to quiet the noise around you and within you. Sometimes we're just so busy and we have so much noise, and the volume of our life is so loud that we just cannot hear the will of God. And God's like, I'm trying to speak to you, but you're tuning me out. I mean, there's so many distractions, so many things going on in life and busyness and kids and marriage or singleness or ministry and freeways and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And we're bombarded with all of these things. And how can we in the midst of all those noises hear God's will? And what I love about Elijah is he finds a quiet place. He goes to a mountain. He he goes to a cave and he gets on his face and he calls on to God. Do you, do you have, just a practical question, do you have a place you can go where you can be still before him? Find that place. Um, and it, it may be hard in a, in a city like this with tons of people. I have a friend, he has like six or seven kids. Seven kids. Um, and it's so hard for him to find a quiet place. He's so busy and so much going on, he literally will lock himself in the bathroom. Like, that's his quiet time. Gets in the bathroom. Honey, what are you doing in there? You've been in there for an hour. That's his only place he can find. And he gets on his knees. I guess there's another throne there, too. But, <laughs> and it may be that. I don't know what it is for you. But what I'm learning is that God's presence is poured out most generously when there's room in our soul to receive him. And if there isn't room because our soul and life is so cluttered with all these things going on i'm going to discover wow god i'm not hearing from you but what if what if god is actually speaking the whole time and the real question is i'm just not listening <laughs> so this is so practical we need to find the quiet space and have a quiet time and have a quiet heart and turn down the volume of our life get off the treadmill And see what he has to say to us. So we listen to God. But let's take it further. This is so practical. Um, I think sometimes knowing the will of God is a matter of listening to the voice of others. Now, we have to be careful here because sometimes people will speak things into your life that aren't always right (laughs) or accurate. But there is beauty and wisdom that comes in community. Um, There are times I thought I heard the will of God but in reality, it was just I had too much pizza last night or something. And I need people in my life who can be honest with me, who I can share with, who I can say, look, I'm praying with this, about this, I'm wrestling with this issue, what do you think? And for them to just honestly say, Don, that's stupid, right? Or that sounds great, or let me pray with you. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the power of community. Um, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 is, is a great example of this. It says, the way of fool seems right, but the wise listen to advice. Here's another one. Proverbs 15, verse 22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So again, another practical question. Do you have some people in your life? Um, that you can honestly engage with and share with and you know they're going to honestly talk to you. Because sometimes people will see things that you may not recognize in yourself. They may see gifts and, and talents that maybe you, you never saw or recognized. They may see the will of God in your life and through your life. And you may be blind to that because of fear or insecurity. So we have to listen, have a listening heart. This takes humility and this takes openness. This takes authenticity. We listen to his voice. We listen to the voice of others. It's the body of Jesus. But here's another real practical one. Um, Listen to your life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, every single one of us, You've been wired in a unique way. Um, Psalm 139 you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is, every single one of you, you have a unique gift, unique talents, unique abilities that no one else has. God designed you in such a way because he wants to use you in a specific way. He has a plan and a purpose for you. Jeremiah 29, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And very often, the will of God is going to be consistent with how God has created you to be. In other words, That thing that you're wrestling through or deciding, should I walk through that door? Should I take that opportunity? Should I move to that city? Should I apply for that job? We need to listen to our life. Okay, has God gifted me in this area? (laughs) Has God given me the resources or ability or desire or talent? Can I do these things? Because, well, let's face it. There are some things that we all are not called to do. Like, for example, I know... That I'm not called to play basketball like that. That was not the career path that God had for me, um, and I know this for a number of reasons. Um, true story: I was in my early 20s, and uh, there was this uh, basketball league in our city, some surrounding cities. And my friends, they joined this, and um, they're really, really good players. And they're like, Dom, um, you, you should join. You should be a part of this. And I laugh, I'm like, I'm, I'm really not good. And they're like, no, just calm. I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm terrible. And I'm not just being humble, Like, I am the worst basketball player ever. And yet, they kind of talk me into it, and I show up, and I was so bad. The, the coach, before the, the first game of the season began, he took me aside, and he's, like, trying to be really tactful and graceful and kind. Um, he's like, Dom, I put his arm around me. Um, hey, do you mind if you just sit out the whole season? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, I'll just, I don't know, will just kind of cheer people on, morale boost, give a Bible study, I don't know, whatever. I'm like, okay, that's how bad I was. So, It was a lame season for me, but it was amazing for the team. They actually did really, really well. And they went on to this kind of finals thing, and it's the final game of the finals. And we had this amazing player. His name was Josh. He's like seven feet tall, a slam dunk, super gifted, super athletic. He's just ripping it up. Our team is ahead by a couple points. It's the last couple minutes of the game, and one of our players was injured. The coach, I'm sitting there just watching it, comes to me. He's like, um... Dom, we need you. Can you get out there? <laughs> I'm like, I haven't played all season. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. And, and he said, yeah, oh, it's easy. Just run around. Okay. i like, okay, I can do that. But what do I do if I get the ball? I really don't know how to play this game. And he's like, okay, if you get the ball, and he's really serious, he says, don't shoot it. He says, get it to Josh. Again, Josh is our star player. Just get it to Josh. That's all you have to do. Okay. So I, I, I go out there, and he stopped me one more time. And he's like, get the ball to Josh. Okay, So I'm running around, and the clock's winding down. We're still ahead, and I get the ball. Now, I don't know if I panicked or what happened, but it was like my moment, I guess, and I just went for it. Like, I I shot the ball. It was a three-pointer. Like, how how awesome would that have been? (laughs) If it was for the right side. I... My, my, only, my only time all season, my only shot was a three-pointer for the wrong team. So they went on to win the game. So I'm standing, I'm like sharing, yeah. And I looked around, the guys are just like staring at me. They're bitter to this day. I'm in deep counseling. Now, I, I know that I'm not called to play basketball like that. That's not God's will for my life. I'm not gifted at that. I'm not uniquely talented in that way. I don't have the skill set. And I think when it comes to the will of God, we just have to be honest. We have to listen to our life. Okay. God, what are the gifts you've given me? What are the interests you've given me? What are the desires you've given me? And, and this decision that I'm wrestling through right now, does it line up with those Does it line up with the desire, the yearning of my heart? So I love this because this for me is so, so practical. Listen, every one of us, today even, we can get that time to seek God. Listen to the voice of others. Get prayer, counsel, input from wise people (laughs) in your life. And then listen to your own life. Okay, God, who who is it that you've called me to be? So cultivate godly character. Listen, and number three, (laughs) I love this one. Just do something, (laughs) just do something. Or if you want to use Christianese, take a step of faith, right? I think, and this is just my life, um, I wrestle with this. I can get overly obsessed with being certain or overly fearful that I'll make the wrong decision. I don't know if any of you have minds like this, like, oh, what if I make the wrong call? What if I go in the wrong direction? What if I say the wrong words? What if I do the wrong thing? And it's like this paralysis of analysis or any of you that way. Um, and I think that stems from a faulty view of the will of God. I don't know if any of you remember the choose your own adventure books when you were a kid. Remember those? And how does it work? You, you read these books and you get to choose which path to go, but only one path Will lead you to the right end every other path you die right or it's like an sat test or something And and many of us for years I had this view where god's will is kind of like you're sitting down to take the ultimate sat test of life And you have like these five options. You're like, okay. Oh my goodness. Only one is correct And if I make the wrong call, i'm not only going to fail the test i'm going to fail life and god will hate me But that's that's not necessarily what we see in scripture what we see in scripture is is God invites us to wrestle and grow and take risks. And sometimes even if those risks are misplaced, God can correct us and bring us back to him. And we shouldn't let fear or the paralysis of analysis keep us from the life of faith. Um, So there's a thinker, a philosopher from Princeton, and his name is Walter Kaufman. And he was doing some research on this. And 40 years ago, he he coined this term. He said, um, there are some groups of people who really struggle making decisions, and he called it, gave it a psychological term, he called it decidophobia. Now, maybe some of you have that. Um, If you don't have decidophobia, uh, decidophobia is the feeling that you get. Is there a Cheesecake Factory down here, by the way? Okay. Decidophobia is the feeling you get (laughs) when you sit down at Cheesecake Factory and the waitress hands you a menu, and it's like, what? massive yellow, book, yellow pages, but it's huge. Like, there are 3,000 different options. And you're just like, I don't know what to get. It all looks so amazing. And like three hours later, you just order an entire Oreo cheesecake and you go home sick, right? That's decidophobia. It's like, I, I don't know what to do, so I just won't do anything or I'll just make some stupid decision. And he did this whole research on this, and, and he found that there are some people who, because they're so afraid of making the right call, or making the wrong call afraid that they will make the wrong call that they'll just not well don't do anything now here's the thing about the life of faith <laughs> you cannot steer a parked car <laughs> and i wonder sometimes if, if god's Spirit's saying you know i would love to direct you and, and navigate your life but you've just kind of been parked doing nothing for 20 years get going put it into gear And then I'll show you what to do. Take that first step. You cannot steer a parked car. Just do something. Well, Pastor Dom, I hear people say back and forth, what if I do the wrong thing? What if I do make a mistake? Well, here's the beauty of God's grace. Even if you make the wrong decision, God will still show up. God will speak to you. He can redirect you. Uh, Just ask Jonah. God can send a whale into your path, right? (laughs) So we serve a God who, yeah, I think there's room for even if maybe it's not exactly the direction He wanted us to go, but at least we're moving in, in a direction, and He can reroute us and renavigate us. Augustine put it this way, and when I first read this, I thought that sounds like heresy. But 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 check out what he, what he says; it's actually pretty profound. He says, "Love God and do what you want." Now I thought, wow, this kind of sounds like bad advice. Like do what I want. I want In-N-Out burger right now, like three double-doubles. That sounds awesome. Is that God's will for my life? Um, Maybe. Um, My will isn't always in the right place. but, But notice what he's saying. Love God and do what you want. If you're loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength if god is first in your life if you're the kind of person who's on your knees and you're calling out to him and you're getting counsel and wise input from others if he is working in you and you're cultivating the right kind of character and the right kind of personality and you're on that path in pursuit of his spirit what augustine is saying is you will make the kinds of decisions that reflect the heart of god Uh, David put it this way in Psalm 37, one of my favorite Psalms. He said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now notice the order delight yourself in him, love him like you're doing today. You're in scripture, you're worshiping him. And, And what scripture says is, okay, if that's first, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. If that's first, then What happens in your life, your desires begin to mesh with his desires. And before you know it, doors start to open. There's opportunities. Things start to happen. And in faith, maybe you're not 100% certain, but in faith, you step through those doors. You go for it. Your car is going somewhere. And God's Spirit is guiding you and navigating you. And then you begin to sense, oh, God is showing up. He is speaking to me. He is telling me what to do. There's this theologian. His name is Nicholas Walterstorff. And I just love saying his last name. It's so epic. Um, He says, faith is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you up over the chasm until you're forced to walk out onto it. I just have the sense. I was praying this morning for you guys and for this church. And, yeah, I just have a sense that this could be a word for one or two or ten. I don't know. But for you, the issue of God's will isn't so much I have no idea what to do. The real question is, are you going to do what he told you to do? <laughs> Maybe last week he told you to do something and you haven't yet stepped into that. Maybe 10 years ago he told you to give up something or go in a certain direction or work on this character issue. But for whatever reason, you haven't done that. And what can often happen in our life is because we are putting other things ahead of God. And then we're resting, God, show me what to do. And God's like, I've already told you. I take that step first, and then I'll show you what the next step is. And the actual question is, will I have the courage to do what he's already told me to do? I remember when I was in my early 20s, um, I met my wife, Elisa. I was 23. Uh, She was about to turn 20. And I had just gotten back from the mission field. I'd spent three years in a country called Vanuatu. And I think last time I was here, I shared a little bit about it. But if you weren't, it's just a real primitive country. Um, In fact, the most primitive country on earth, they say. No electricity, um, no running water. They actually did a Survivor series on it um, a couple years ago. And uh, we lived um, in a hut. And it's just me and a bunch of guys. And guys came from all these other islands to learn the Bible. And so um, I had to teach the Bible in their language. And they spoke a language called Bislama. Bislama is like this weird combination of Tarzan meets caveman meets pig Latin. Um, it's like a really weird language. Like, um, I'll give you some examples. Like the word slingshot, you would say, himi, elastic, blong, shootem, pigeon. That's the word slingshot. Or my favorite by far is the word piano. Um, you wouldn't just say Piano. He would say Himmy big fella box where he got white teeth belong him, Mo he got black teeth belong him, Mo suppose you kill him teeth belong him, Himme sing out long you. That's piano. <laughs> so I want you to imagine <laughs> like, I'm trying to teach the book of Romans. And I come to the word justification. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to take three weeks to explain, right? <laughs> so I'm speaking this weird caveman language. I'm just I think castaway. I, like, grew my hair really long. Uh, my friends back home made fun of me, called me Fabio, loincloth, all of that. And I, I come back, and I'm just, like, super, after three years in the jungle, um, I'm, like, kind of socially awkward. I am anyway, but, like, really so. And I kind of come back, and Um, my friend at this church in Southern Oregon, Medford, Oregon, the epicenter of progressive culture. If you haven't been there, um, he, he introduces me to this girl named Elisa and she had just gotten back from China as a missionary. And she was like, Oh my gosh, the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. And I just had like this sense, like, God saying, you know, you need to get to know her, maybe ask around or something. But I was so nervous and so awkward in the moment. Like, again, Vislama, I'm like, me, Dominic, you, woman. Um, <laughs> it's just like this really weird conversation, cotton mouth. I'm just fumbling over my words. And we went our way, and I was so afraid. I didn't even get her number. I didn't ask her out. Nothing. And and for, like, I don't know if you've ever had this happen in a relationship, but for, like, days, I'm like, oh, I just couldn't stop thinking about her. Couldn't get out of my mind. I'm, like, beating myself up. Why didn't I ask, you know, for a number or something or ask her out? And so it's a Wednesday morning, and I'm driving in southern Oregon in Medford. And, again, I'm thinking about her, and I'm like, okay, God— Could you just like take her out of my mind? Like, this is getting ridiculous. I keep thinking about her. And then I said this. I don't know if you've ever prayed something like this. I'm like, but if she's the one, (laughs) I just pray you make that real clear and that I would run into her today. In Jesus' name, amen. No sooner did I say amen, she runs in front of my car and I hit her. And she spent about six and a half months in the hospital. I'm totally kidding on that part. No, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> You're like, that explains the wooden leg. I was wondering. I didn't want to say anything. No, um, no. Okay, so I'm driving my car <laughs> and I pray the prayer. I'm like, God, let's take her out of my mind. But if she's the one, I pray to run into her today. And Jesus' name, same amen. Ten seconds later, there's a Starbucks. Darren took me to Starbucks this morning. I love coffee. That's why I love Portland. And so I pull in to get a cup of coffee And this was so crazy. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I walk into Starbucks and I open the door. And literally, she is standing a foot away from the door just like this. As if she had been waiting for me her whole life. And the angels of God are like, hallelujah. And. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And she's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm wanting coffee. And she's like, oh, I work here and I just happen to be on break. I'm like, cool, let's sit down. And it's like I had this boldness from on high. And like, I asked her out, and the, now three days from today, we're going to be married 15 years. <laughs> but you see, this was a situation in my life where, yeah, I, I knew God was telling me to do. He made it. I don't know how God could have made it even more clear aside from running her over. But then she'd be dead, and that would be a whole other story. Like... I I knew what it was that God's telling me to do. And there are times in your life when you know what God's telling you to do. But you just need the courage to do it. And, and, And listen, as we begin to wrap this up, sometimes the will of God is not easy. In fact, I would argue many times it's not. We have kind of a hallmark version of the will of God, I think, in American Christianity, where it says something like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it's true, God loves you passionately. But the wonderful plan, we often interpret that to be you know what? He loves me so much. Everything's going to just go my way. Dream date, dream job, dream life. My team will always win. My health is always going to be perfect. We know that's not, that's not true. Like, there are times life is so, so hard. A few weeks ago, I sat down with Nagme Abedini. Um, she's the wife of Saeed Abedini. And her, her husband, Saeed, is in Iran in prison in solitary confinement he's been there for three years and um she's in the portland area and and his sister as well and we spent my wife and i spent the day with them and he was arrested in iran american citizen because he was sharing gospel and starting orphanages and she's just going through it right now like she doesn't know if her husband's going to survive president obama met with her and uh still nothing's really been done about it and she's just heartbroken And I look at that story, God loves her. But man, that plan is not what we would say wonderful. Like the end game, yes, heaven's going to be amazing. It's wonderful. But sometimes the path to get there is really, really difficult. Sometimes we don't say yes to his will because we know there's going to be a cost when we take that step, when we do what he's asking us to do. But how many of us have learned and are learning right now that there is no better way to live than to be right in the center of God's will. Like, I'm just in a point in my life right now where I, I don't want to spend a single moment outside of his will. I want each moment to count. I want each day to count. Life is short, and there's no more thrilling adventure. Yeah, it's tough and it's hard, but it's beautiful and it's rich, and the end game is amazing than to be right in the heart, in the soul of God's will and plan for your life. One last question Maybe some of you are wondering, well, what if I've already messed up? (laughs) What what if I've already done something that was outside of his will? Maybe you in some way betrayed your values or maybe it's a failed relationship. Maybe you gave into some temptation. I don't know what it is in your story. I think all of us have issues like this. And because we made those mistakes yesterday or 10 years ago, We look at our life today and we think, you know what, I've circled the wrong box and God's through with me and there's no way that my story can be redeemed. I want us to know today that we are not saved by the quality of our decisions. We are saved by the grace of God. And you have never made a decision so bad that God cannot forgive And even if your story is one of heartache and pain and brokenness, God is all about putting broken people back together. There is healing. There is hope. His gifts and his callings, the Bible says, are irrevocable. And no matter how far you may have gone from the will of God, he has not walked away from you. (laughs) So today, he invites us, every one of us. He says, come back to me. You can be in the center of God's will right now. It's a prayer way. It's a prayer way. Because with Jesus, the most important decision of the one million seven hundred thousand million thousand whatever decisions you make in life, the most important decision that you make is the one that you make right now. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the cross. Because when we look at the cross, we, we see what the will of God can look like. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he called out to you. He said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross, despising its shame. He was crucified. He bled. He died. Sometimes your will for us looks like a cross. Sometimes it's painful and it's hard and it's messy. But I thank you, God, that three days later you rose again. And it's only, it's only by pursuing you and living a life for you That, yeah, there might be death, but there is also resurrection. There is new life. And it's so much more beautiful. So I pray if there's any here right now who, they just need to hear this word. Maybe they just feel guilty because of their past. They feel discouraged because of their journey. They feel that you've rejected them or set them aside. May they know that, that your heart for them, your love for them has no end. And... That right now they are in the center of your will. They just open up their hearts to receive you. So God, every one of us, we receive your grace. Where we're weak, be our strength. Show us the way that we can go. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. For this is our act of worship. And we will know what is the will of God for our lives. And we pray these things in the holy, beautiful, resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen.